You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Such a privilege uh, to be here with you today and share in this season where we are wanting to cultivate uh, our awareness of our need for God. Not only our need, but the world's need, I think, in many ways to be a human being is to be in need of God. And one way of thinking about being a Christian is that we're becoming aware of how that need is met in Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you have a Bible with you today, would you please open with me to Psalm 106? I'm going to read portions of this psalm as we go through, and I'll, I'll reference other parts But before we begin, let me pray and ask God to speak to us through his word. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are humbled again that you uh, have gathered us into your presence to hear from you. Lord, and we would ask uh, for nothing less than for your spirit to speak to each of us exactly at our points of need. Uh, Make us aware of how much we need you and how you have given us yourself in the person of Jesus Christ our Lord we pray in his name amen well you may have had the experience of loving a song and knowing all the lyrics singing those lyrics maybe at times and only to find out that uh, that song didn't mean exactly what you thought it meant Uh, Psalm 106 might give us that same sense in my Bible the heading is give thanks to the Lord for he is good And so if you were flipping through the Psalms, you might stop at 106 and think, this has got to be a nice pick-me-up kind of Psalm. And that's the way it seems to start. It's full and rich in the first few verses. Listen to these again. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all his praise? Blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Help me when you save them, that I may look upon the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. That feels feels pretty good if you're following along there. We know what an inheritance is. An inheritance is the wealth, the treasure, the the prized possessions that get passed down through a family. And here and throughout the Bible, God says that his inheritance is us as people. And so we might think that the psalmist would now lead us through a, a glowing portrayal of who we are as God's people. But that's not at all what he does to help us experience our need for God. What he invites us to is to see ourselves in the failures of his people. Look at verse 6. This verse is in many ways like an interpretive key for the rest of the psalm. And the psalmist says, both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. 
The psalmist is inviting us to confess the sins of those who have gone before us as if we have a share in them. And he won't let us wiggle out of it one way or another. He repeats the same idea three times. We have sinned, we have committed iniquity, and we have done wickedness. And the rest of the poetry of this psalm is to help us slow down and in some ways internalize the stories to which they are referring so that we might even find ourselves implicated in them. And by the end of the psalm, after we've spent time exposed to our need, we might, with the Spirit's help, cry with a new fervor, Save us, O Lord, our God. Well, the psalmist, he goes through and alludes to eight different stories of our failure that go from bad to worse. And I want to walk through some of them and, and refer to others. But look first at verse 7. We pray, our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Here in this one verse, we have the story of, of the great exodus from Egypt compressed into poetry. Remember, we had seen the Lord overwhelm the gods of the Egyptians through the ten plagues. And he had enriched us as he rescued us from slavery in Egypt. He led us by a wonder of a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. But then we got to the edge of the Red Sea when, with the Egyptians coming against us. Rather than trust the Lord, we complained and we rebelled against the Lord. We longed to go back to Egypt. Is it because there are no graves in Egypt, Moses, that you brought us out here to die in the wilderness? We didn't consider what God had done and God, he could have been done with us then, but he wasn't. Uh, verse 8 says, but we, uh, I'm sorry, verse 8 says, yet he saved them for his name's sake. That he might make known his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea and it became dry. He led them through the deep as through a desert. So he saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. And the waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed his words. They sang his praise. God was then, God is now gracious to stiff-necked, ungrateful sinners who refuse to trust him when we have all the reasons to. Surely, though, now we would be faithful. But no, we weren't. Verses 13 through 15 continue. But they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. But they had a wanton craving in the wilderness and put God to the test in the desert. He gave them what they asked but sent a wasting disease among them. I'll work with the poetry here a little bit. These verses evoke the almost immediate complaining from the Israelites after passing through the Red Sea. But then they jump to a later episode in Numbers chapter 11. In Numbers 11, uh, soon after we had departed for the promised land from Mount Sinai, we grumbled and complained again. And what were we complaining about? We were tired of this miraculous bread that appeared every morning from heaven. We wanted meat. We imagined that we had it better in Egypt. 
And God was angry with us. He gave us what we craved and many died for it. The psalmist goes on. The next vignette is in verses 16 to 18. And that alludes to Numbers chapter 16 where Korah and Dathan and Abiram led two more rebellions against Moses only to be consumed in the attempts. In 19 to 23, the psalmist returns us in our minds to Mount Sinai. It's been less than 40 days since they had heard God's voice audibly. And yet, we break the second commandment and worship the golden calf. Verses 24 through 27 recall Numbers 14 and how the Lord had brought us to the border of the promised land. But even after all that God had done, we refused to believe that he could possibly deliver us into it. And so we had to turn around and wander in the wilderness. The next story in verses 28 to 31 remind us of the lewd account of sexual immorality with the Moabites and how God relented from his judgment because Phinehas intervened. That's Numbers 25. Verses 32 to 33 take us back to Numbers chapter 20. And the psalmist reminds us that we and our fathers pestered and provoked Moses beyond what he could bear so that because of his own disobedience... He couldn't enter the promised land either. But you get the idea, and I would encourage you to spend time with this psalm, story of failure after failure. We and our fathers and our mothers and our brothers and our sisters have sinned. I do want us to look more closely at verses 34 through 37. They soar through 500 years of history from the period of the judges to the kings. And they finally leave us in exile. And they explore for us the depth of our depravity. We remember we and our fathers have done this. We have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. Look at Look at what these verses say. Verse 34, they did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them, but they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood. Thus they became unclean in their acts and played the whore in their deeds. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people and he abhorred his heritage. He gave them into the hands of the nation so that those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them and they were brought into subjection under their power. Many times he delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through their iniquity. Nevertheless, He looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. He caused them to be pitied by all those who held them captive. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. There are terrible Terrible failures here, especially in verses 34 through 38. We are the kind of people 
who sacrifice our sons and daughters to the demons, pouring out their innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrifice to the idols of Canaan and polluted the land with blood. Are you aware that we as God's people have been this bad? Our sin makes God angry. It brings his displeasure upon us. He disciplines us, sometimes for generations, but by some miracle of grace. He does not forsake us. And the psalmist here is inviting us to take these words up as our own. And to sing them or pray them as part of God's guilty, helpless people who need him. Now, you may not have committed sins like these. But we are part of a people who has. But you may have. You may have. And no one else may even know. And if so, you need to hear that we pray this psalm with you. We and our fathers and our mothers and our brothers and our sisters have sinned. Oh, Lord, would you save us? Gather us. Do your work in us and through us so that your blessing might return to the world. This is how Psalm 106 leads us and helps us cultivate an awareness of our need for God and all that he's provided for us in Jesus. I am glad it's not the only psalm in the Bible, though. Uh, there, there, there's uh, other psalms in the Bible. Very glad for those. There's benefit for praying the psalm at any time, but I do think there are a few times, especially when we need it. Lent is one of those seasons. A good time to spend with this psalm and others like it when we're trying to cultivate in our own hearts and minds an awareness, a, a felt need for God and his grace and mercy to us as his people. We're wanting to discover or rediscover in a deeper way our need and the world's need for God. Prepare our hearts to celebrate the wonderful work of Jesus on our behalf. And so we need him because we and our fathers have sinned. You know, there's no need to recount details, but we need psalms like this one when there are stories of devastating abuse and scandal that we might think are unthinkable that get uncovered in the church. We need Psalm 106 for times uh, like those. I love it that we have some students here. I wasn't sure if we would have any today. Students or our students, we need psalms like 106. As you make your way through high school or possibly college, you'll hear from friends or from professors or in books or online that the church and its leaders have actually done some pretty terrible things. The Crusades, for one. The complicity of the German uh, church in uh, Nazi Germany. Atrocious things. They're sins of our heroes. We love Martin Luther for his stand for the gospel, and we lament his comments about the Jews. John Calvin has done as much as anyone to help us know and follow God, and yet he oversaw, to, oversaw and agreed to the execution of someone who 
false, false, taught false doctrine. Uh, what Psalm 106 does is it helps give us a, a big enough faith to include our gross failures as God's people. You won't be surprised, you won't be derailed because we and our fathers have sinned. Closer to home for many of us are the abuses and the complicity of the church and our leaders in the evils of slavery and lynching and racism and abuse right up through the civil rights era. And of course the debates are ongoing about those effects. We and our fathers have sinned, we've committed iniquity, we've done wickedness in your eyes, O Lord. Please save us. Here and elsewhere, the Bible leads us not to to whitewash our sins, but to confess those that we or those who've gone before us, confess what we have done. This this psalm tempers, if not confronts, our longing for the good old days. There have been no good old days. In some way, today, sin is spreading like wildfire in ways that it never has before. And we're right to see it and mourn it and resist it. But it would be foolish for us, foolish for us to imagine that there was some other era when we needed God less than we need Him today. Sin may have been spreading in different ways a hundred years ago, but what's tragic about that is that much of the church didn't notice it. We and our fathers have sinned. Now, what I love about Psalm 106 is that it gives us the language to own the failures of the church without giving up on God's work through it. It presses us to rely on God's grace. And one of the reasons that we don't want to confess our own sins or the sins of those who've gone before us, of course, is our pride. We don't want to admit that we or our people or our spiritual forefathers or foremothers could be as bad as we really have been. That's pride. And the other reason that we don't want to confess, I think, is because we don't believe very deeply in God's grace. We don't fully believe that our gracious Savior, Jesus, loves and perseveres with and works through and Sometimes despite thoroughgoing sinners. You know, Jesus, remember he said the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And that is an image of the churches storming the gates, overrunning the last defenses of hell itself. And, and we might think that must be because the church is so strong. No. It's because God's grace is so strong. That he triumphs through the church and sometimes despite it. You know, um, friends, there there are beautiful demonstrations of faithfulness in the church. But what I want you to see today is that the coming of God's kingdom does not depend on it. God's kingdom coming depends on God. Who by his grace works to heal the world of all its sin. And all its sorrow. And this is why we praise him. This is why we bless God for his steadfast love. Despite our sin. We can mourn the sin of the church. And wonder 
that God somehow remains committed to it by covenant. So that we sing or pray with the psalmist at the very end. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen, and praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Jesus, we receive your word. Because it prepares us to receive your love. And so, Lord, we would ask you to humble us in our great need for you. Only so that we might be amazed at your love and grace and mercy to us and for the world. Be working this into our hearts and into our minds, into our lives, into our families and among our friends and in our community and through our church. For we ask it in your name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.